you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Welcome to the CBS Eye on Money podcast. It is Thursday, October 14th. So uh, our caller bailed on us, huh? That was what happened, Mark? Yes, he uh, he confirmed with me last night, and then he just bailed on us this morning. It mm-hmm. happens. It, it happens. happens. It's okay. We we forgive you for messing up Mark's whole tightly planned and well-executed schedule. We do. We really do. A uh, couple of things. What we would love for you to do, if you have a financial question, anything going on, is to hop onto our website, jillonmoney.com, and click the contact button. Do tell us if you are willing to come on the air, and Mark will do the rest. And then if you have to, you can bail. Don't worry. We can talk. We know how to do this. While you're on the website, sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Um, I am asking everybody out there who has done something different in their careers or they're, um, they're, they've changed their financial goals after COVID. I'm asking you guys to let me know about that. I won't even put you on the air. I want to interview you. I'm writing a book right now. And I want to talk to people who have made very big pivots based on what they've just experienced in the last couple of years. So that's what I'm seeking. If that's you, And it doesn't really matter what it is. It can be sort of like I've refocused my energy on my career or I've changed careers or I've done this. Whatever it is, I want to hear from you. So go onto the website, jillonmoney.com, click the contact button. And um, in the subject, just say, you know, uh, fodder for your book. All right. So here's the guy who bailed on us, Bob. Okay. Uh, He had sent us an email last winter about a housing scheme. And he said, I took your advice and I put my funds towards long-term savings over buying a house. Now he's got a question about funds for five accounts that he's in charge of for himself and some young relatives of his. So he's got somewhere between $1,500 and $12,000 and the timeline, meaning when he needs the money, anywhere between 10 and 30 years. Mark, what is the deal here? Do we just like for this amount of money, can you give the case for target date funds? Uh, yeah. And it looks so 10 to 30 years. Yeah. I, I mean, target date fund is fine, is fine, would be fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I would use a, some different ones depending upon when these funds are needed. It's very funny because someone at work asked me about this Wall Street Journal article that came out a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, maybe just a week ago. Now that I say I, it's folded up I, and I'm going to mark, I, I will actually take a picture of this because I cut it out of the physical paper, which means I have a very big carbon footprint. Target date funds, um, they are asking this question. You ready? Should investors create their own target date fund? That's the question. Mm-hmm. You can save an average of 0.14 percentage points in excess expenses and fees a year. And that, this is according to the journal, and that translates to more than two percentage points in cumulative returns over 10 
years. So I think an expense ratio for most target date funds is, I don't know, what is it? 0.15 to 0.3-ish. Let's call it that. What's the expense ratio if you just buy mutual funds in a place like Vanguard or Fidelity or T. Rowe Price? What's the cost of those funds, Mark? 0.04. Okay. So here you have it. That's the deal. The most interesting thing about target date funds is they are cheap, but they cost more than point, you know, five basis points. I just pulled up a Vanguard one. It's uh, 0.14. 0.14. Okay. So maybe if you're in the Vanguard environment, paying 0.14% every year is not so bad and you still have to pay 0.04%. But you know, it's it's money and all you have to do is kind of create your own target date fund. How would you do that, Mark? Uh, well, I mean, I would just kind of replicate what the target date fund is using. So it's very easy. If you want to do that, you can just go to any of these sites, Vanguard, for example, pull up the target date fund. You can uh, see what funds are being used and then just buy those individually on your own. All right. Here's the interesting finding here. The average brand name, no, not Vanguard, but the average brand name 2040 target date fund you pay 0.32 percentage points a year. It's a big increase. It is. So I think that this is, I mean, so let's get back to Bob. So Bob, what you can do is you can pick a few different funds, stock index fund, a bond index fund, and maybe just start with that considering the accounts are smallish and do it at a place that's cheap, right? And so when I say that, folks, I don't mean cheap is bad. I mean, it, it's just money that you'd be throwing out the window to, to another organization. So the kinds of places that I am interested in you guys considering for index funds are Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, Zero Price, any place where you can get essentially a large index fund for about five basis points a year, 0.05%. That's it. The vast majority of these of these target day funds are made up of basically four funds. There's a total stock market index fund, a total international stock, total bond, and total international bond. That's basically it. That's it. So you can just go do it yourself. The only downside is, you know, you got you're on the hook for rebalancing. Why don't they allow you to rebalance in these places, Mark? I don't know. They don't. It's very interesting. I feel like that's maybe like they're, I, I don't know why they don't. It seems to me, why is that available in a retirement account, but not in a just a mutual fund account? Maybe that's their way of trying to force your hand to use a target date fund and pay more fees. Maybe, but I'll tell you what, if you create your own, Bob, if you create your own target date fund, we'll rebalance with you once a year. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Uh, All right. Here is a note from John, whose subject is balancing taxed and tax deferred funds. And I love the first sentence. I've had great success following your advice. Thank you. Okay. Here's the question. You ready, Mark? You got that coffee cup ready? Should one attempt to keep all bond funds in tax deferred accounts and stock funds in a brokerage or stock fund after tax account? 
I could just sell some IRA stock funds and put 40% bond allocation in the IRA accounts and after-tax money in stock funds. Since more money is in the IRAs than the brokerage, there will still be tax-deferred money in the stock funds. What do you think, Jill? Mark, what do you think? I mean, this is something that I personally do. We basically keep all of our bond allocations in our tax-deferred accounts. I mean, here's the thing. I think it's a great idea. I think most people have a hard time doing it. I think that philosophically, I love it. It also helps for you know years down the road because if you have most of your bonds in those tax-deferred accounts, it's not going to grow at the same rate as, say, they were, it was all stocks. So in theory, your RMD later on should be less if you do it that way as well. Right. That you really, you're sort of saying like, look, of course I want to grow my accounts overall, but uh, the appreciation that happens in a tax-deferred account translates into ordinary income instead of paying capital gains rates. So very smart, Mark. Boy, you sound like just like a certified financial planner, man. (laughs) Amazing how that happened. Okay. You ready for your next question? Friend of mine sends me a note and says, I want to talk to you about an interesting opportunity that I have. Okay. What is it? Well, what's happening is that This woman worked at a big firm. She was entitled to be part of their pension plans, okay? She left the firm. She's 58 years old. You know, most of the time, these plans, it's no longer active plan. It's just sort of sitting there. So oftentimes with a company that has a plan that's essentially shuttered, they want to offload the plan, get it off the balance sheet. So every so often they'll say, hey, you person who is in this pension plan, do you want a lump sum? You can have the money and you can control it or, you know, or you can stay in the plan. Okay. Here is the offer, Mark. The offer was she's 58 and she could basically take about, I'm just going to give you round numbers, $400,000 in a lump sum. And then she could also start the pension right now. And she also could wait till 65 and then start the pension then. Okay. So the numbers are essentially 400 grand today at age 65. It's, um, let's see, let's call it 2,200. Okay. A month. Immediately, this calls into question when you have this kind of, of, calculation, there's a lot of other variables because do you have other money saved? Do you have other resources? Where are you going to draw from your retirement? Are you going to keep working? What's happening? So to cut to the chase, she's got plenty of assets. Like she has about 2.2 million in retirement assets, 1.7 million in taxable. Big chunks of money, right? So what do you do with this? If you had the 400 grand, you'd put it into the retirement, the pre-tax money, and um, you'd just let it grow. So I always think, Mark, you've, you, you, I think you also have seen this. When we get these kinds of questions, usually the calculation is so much better for the company than it is for you. Okay. So now what happens is I'm leaning that way and I start crunching the numbers And I got a number that I didn't trust. It looked like the needed rate of return to match the ongoing stream of payments was a 3% return. I was like, hmm, that seems low. So then I went online and I found another calculator and confirmed it, 3%. So then I started thinking to myself, well, all right, 
maybe it's nice to have a stream of income. Maybe that's something that's important. Maybe that's something that could be helpful and you wouldn't have to touch the other money. And then I called the master. I called friend of the show, Michael Goodman. And I talked to him about it this morning, Mark. And what was fascinating is he raised an issue that I had not considered. He says, hold on a second. This is somebody who is a mother and a grandmother. And if she chooses the pension, even if she chose a joint and survivor, even if she chose um, a period certain where you'd get paid for at least a certain number of years, there's still a risk that if she were to die, that $400,000 that would have been passing along to her heirs goes away or is a fraction of what it would have been. And when he added that in and we started talking about it and he said, you know, and also you can always buy an annuity when rates are higher. He says, I'm not sure I'd lock that in right now. And I went back and I ran the numbers again and then I called her up and I said, you know what? I think you're going to take the lump sum. And here's my favorite part. She has a financial advisor. She's like, yeah, I think I'll manage that myself. (laughs) But it was a good lesson for me in that Michael brought up a really good point that I hadn't thought about that, that, you know, sometimes when you have a pension benefit, it's great. There is security. But if you die at the wrong time, it may mean that your heirs receive less money. So now when we get those questions, you got to factor that in. Is it important to them to leave a big chunk of money to their to their heirs? Exactly. Um, I think that's it. I think we're in good shape here, Mark. This is a good episode, even though we got bailed upon. Um, okay, so just remember a couple of things that we ask. So go to the website, jillonmoney.com, bookmark it, and you can see all the great stuff. We have a new website redesign. Guess what? We have a listener that we have engaged to do this website redesign and analysis, and it was fantastic. What a community we have here. What a community. I'm so grateful. Anyway, go to jillonmoney.com, bookmark that, and you'll see we're going to have new design very soon. Click on the contact button, sign up for the free weekly newsletter, and follow us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Don't forget, when you're on our website, you can subscribe to our sister broadcast, Jill on Money. Every single day, we pump that stuff out. So check it out. Everything is at jillonmoney.com. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We are distributed by CBS. Please try to lift someone up today. And remember our mantra, curiosity, compassion, community. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.